the Ghost Goal Podcast. The Premier League got back to business Monday with a full slate of Boxing Day fixtures on hand and a smattering of other matches in the days to follow. Liverpool followed the surprise signing of Holland's World Cup star forward Cody Gakpo with an impressive win at Unai Emery's Aston Villa, while Arsenal stormed back early in the second half to defeat West Ham in their return to league action. We've got all that and much more to discuss as more games are right around the corner this New Year's weekend. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to episode 389 of the Ghost Goal podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. Javier, how was your yeah, Christmas? Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, ha- happy ho- holidays, everyone. Yeah, happy holidays if you don't celebrate Christmas. Um, hope everyone had a good one. I was with uh, my immediate family. My uh, brother and his wife came down from Michigan, and the only one that was missing was uh, Daniel, my uh, second older brother. He's in Peru still with his wife, but uh, everyone else got there, and... Uh, had a nice uh, Christmas Eve and then a uh, nice uh, dinner and then open presents right at midnight. And uh, and then the next day we had another uh, another nice lunch. So it was a good Christmas. What about you, Alex? Yeah, it was good. My, uh, my sister uh, came back to visit from Australia and because of all of the uh, restrictions, harsher restrictions there due to COVID, we hadn't had her uh, back here in the States for three years. So that, that was nice to have a another Christmas uh, or get back to Christmas with uh, the, the, the whole family involved. So yeah, very enjoyable. I've had two weeks off of work. I'm a week and a half into that and uh, just been enjoying these uh, games as, they, as they've come. Uh, so we've got tons to cover because obviously we haven't, you know, talked a lick of Premier League in a month. And even though there haven't been ga- like league games going on in that time, there's been plenty of other like stuff going on, like this Cody Gakpo oh, transfer that, that just that happened up, the Alex. other day. It's so depressing. We got to talk about it. It's I mean, J- January first isn't technically here yet. Depressing but we've got for a everybody of else that we can just, talk about. I, if I'm a Liverpool fan, like I'd be hyped, so hyped about getting Gakpo. I mean, I know it's not exactly what they need. Everyone's been saying they need midfield signings. It's not like they don't have midfielders. They just haven't been fit for very long. They have the most injury-prone one in Thiago, and Fabinho's kind of been off form you know, for the last few months and Henderson getting up there in age. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, Keita probably need to be moved on, you know, Nabi Keita, both of them, Oxlade Chamberlain. I don't think they're good enough for Liverpool. Um, but I think that's something for the summer. So bringing in someone like Gakpo when Diaz is out for the rest of the season, I think it's going to be enough ammo to, to get top four. Like that's the type of move where like, it's a huge difference to I like I th- I was thinking Liverpool weren't going to make top four, um, you know Darwin Nunez hasn't exactly hit the ground running. He he looks dangerous, super dangerous. You know, much like uh, like Timo Werner when he first came into the league. You know, there was so much potential. He had a few goals here and there. You know, occasional you know brace or whatever, and and looked good. But a lot of times, missing chances or really dangerous on the ball. Um, and it, it's the same with Darwin Nunez, but. I don't think that's going to be the case with Gakpo. Like, he passed the eye test completely during the World Cup. Every game he played, except for, you know, in, in the knockout rounds, at least in the 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 last game that they played, you know, he wasn't amazing against Argentina. I think Argentina had a really good game plan against them, but I thought he was very good against the USA. And even though he didn't score, he was a huge influence on the game, and he scored in all the group stage games. And then when we when Arsenal played against PSV and against 
um, both times this season. You know, Gakpo was was a standout player for me. And when we've been so good as we've been for that type of team, you know, when there wasn't many players that were standing out for him to be such a star and to be such a just polarizing player in those games, I think he's going to be just a smash in the Premier League. I think he's going to hit the right ground running. The he has the physical right off the bat. He has the physicality to do it. He has the speed, the technique. The dude can finish. I mean, he can head the ball. I don't see any weaknesses in his game. He's he seems already polished. Um, the defensive I'm work. Hard, I'm honestly like he, he needs yeah. to work on like the defensive side of his game. But I mean, that's something that Klopp will get to right away. But like even even just like the maturity on the ball, the decision making, all of those things for Gakpo. I mean, he also has a ton of assists too. So this guy doesn't yeah. just score goals. I mean, he's a creator. He, he the way he was playing on the Dutch team, he was playing further back. Uh, like more, a little bit more of like a center forward or, or center attacking mid role, um, and you know he was letting either you know Jansen up top or Depay, whoever was up top. They, they were the ones who were, you know, he was kind of playing a little bit off them and sometimes coming deeper for the ball and moving the ball 30, 40 yards up the field for the Dutch. He was doing the same with PSV and. He'll help in the midfield. That's where, like, defensively, he might not be the most amazing force, but they already have some pretty good defensive midfielders. I think if they could they could find someone who can move the ball up the field 30, 40 yards, like Gakpo, it's going to be a huge weight lifted off someone like Salah, who can just, you know, focus on g- getting balls in the box, finishing, um, and, and, you know, getting into dangerous positions. Same with Darwin Nunez. You know, he's he's not... He's super quick, but he's not, like... His decision making isn't quite there yet. He's still young. He's still rash. Um, he's not going to be the guy to to dribble past three or four players and then play someone in. Gakpo can be that guy. You know, he'll dribble past three players, break through, get by the byline, cut it back for Nunez or Salah. And I just, uh, I think it's a great move for them. Like I think Gakpo's is going to be a huge hit, and he could play center forward for them. He could even replace Nunez in the team. I mean, we could see, uh, yeah, Yota. Gakpo, Salah, front three. Yeah, I almost forgot about Jota. That's a good point because I think he's injured, but he is due to be back relatively soon. But, you know, in the meantime, immediately, Gakpo could play either on the left wing. He could play in the number 10-ish kind of role. Uh, he, he could, and Klopp loves that role. He loves he, he playing like even, Firmino or... Like when you see team sheets announced, you may even see the team sheets announced with Gakpo as the center forward, Nunez on the left and Salah on the right. And that will turn into like a 4-4-2 diamond midfield with Gakpo at the top of the, the midfield diamond, basically replacing Roberto Firmino and then Nunez left forward, Salah right forward. And those two forwards split wide for Gakpo to, you know, push into that space with the ball and then distribute like wide to them or, you know, dink a little ball for them to make an outside run into the box. There's a lot of possibilities that it opens up uh, signing him. It's just going to be interesting to see which one of those. I I think it could just just as easily be playing on the left with Nunes in the middle. I think for the price, it's the biggest steal. I mean, I don't understand how they got it for that price. I don't know what Manchester United were doing because they've been It seems like he was going there. For six like to for eight months. months, yeah, and and Liverpool negotiate. We 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 heard the news, maybe ten hours later, Liverpool signed him. So I mean, it's just great piece of business from Liverpool. This is the type of signings that they've Liverpool are known for in these last years under Klopp, and just another, I think, just fantastic signing, um, and why Liverpool are going to stay relevant. You know, maybe they were starting to you know shy away a little bit, and this this type of signing just tells me, you know, no way. The the Nunez signing may may or may, we we don't know if it's going to be a bust yet, but 
Yeah, they got back to winning ways too. Winning three one, they looked pretty decent. You know, up two nil. Yeah, they on. looked like their old selves. That first yeah. goal, especially when Alexander Arnold picked up that ball. Oh my in midfield, god, what a ball! Played what a an dime unbelievable through to ball. Robertson and Robertson just used the outside of his left foot to square it first time to Salah. That's the Liverpool we're used to from the past couple of years that we hadn't seen enough of. And, you know, the other goals after that were nice as well, but that one really defines what makes this Klopp-Liverpool team so threatening. Just moments of class like that that they can whip out at any moment from players like those two fullbacks in Salah. So adding Gakpo to the mix is is, it's going to help them for sure. I'm definitely... Their top four chances are not gone like people were suggesting earlier in the season. They still have plenty of time to rack up uh, some good form and get themselves back into that top four. Uh, Where do you want to move on to next? Ah, I know where. Arsenal storming back from 1-0 down against West Ham uh, in the second half. No, no, we should talk about that later. No, Javier. I've already talked enough, Alex. You want to talk about that now? Javier, yes. Let's just get it out of the way. Get it out uh, of the way? there's an I just annoying want to keep it thing. in my mind the there, whole time. There's an annoying thing happening now where even when Arsenal go down, Arsenal fans aren't worried anymore. And oh, no, not at all. It's across all of the chilling. Arsenal fans I know. Like, all of them were just like, I'm not worried. We're going to come back, it, like, especially at home. Like, I, I understand it. But it's annoying that that's, like, how things have played out this season. Like, you would have thought first game back, like, maybe there's, like, a disconnect between the Arsenal of the first half of the season and the Arsenal after the World Cup break, especially with Jesus being Oh, and what did you for- think with that performance, Alex? Did you think there was a disconnect? There was not. No, I was saying you would think that there might be a threat of that. You know, you have a slow start and go a goal behind. But no, you guys stayed very calm. Odegaard was everywhere, all over the field. Uh, dragged you guys back into it, even with a, if it was a shot that was not great. You know, he's he's willing to be the one to take a pop and it ends up in Bukayo Saka's lap and he scores the equalizer. And uh, yeah, and you, you've got players that are confident enough to you know, take shots and not be afraid that, you know, it might not work out directly how they imagined it. But like Martinelli for his goal, the the go ahead goal, like just after that, he takes that shot. A lot like of players would have tried post. to square that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of players would have tried he, to square that like, or like, it. I'm going to try to cut goal. it back. Yeah, he just, he happens. just said, fuck it. Yeah. And, and honestly, it completely caught Fabianski out. I, Fabianski's pretty good goalkeeper. He's definitely getting up there in age, but just uh, his little shift that he did to the left there. Also the way that he just shifts the ball from right to, from his right to his left foot and then just blasts it at Martinelli is, is, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's, he's such a talent. I, I thought I was a little worried that without Gabriel Jesus, you know, Martinelli might not be not, might not shine as much in this team, but we got to give praise to Nketiah because I mean, I thought the whole entire game, his hold up play was fantastic. He looked like Jesus. Like, the way that some of the things that he was doing, his touches on the ball, his fucking goal. I mean, I know that you th- you think that the defender wasn't good there. I've watched it a few times. He destroyed the defender with his turn. I mean, that no, was no, such that, that a was, nice turn. He would have beaten any t- any player there. That, that like, made it very clear to me that Tilo Kerr, the defender in question, he doesn't know his best position yet. And no manager has been able to find it. Because at PSG, he filled in at left back and right back. And he's not fast enough or good enough going forward to be effective in that role. And since coming to West Ham, he's played what you would think is more his natural center back position. And every time he gets isolated, he just looks completely lost. Like an attacker can just do what he wants with him at any moment. And he'll just, he's just slow to react on everything. It was a good turn by Nketiah, but... No center back is letting. What about letting, the finish, it, though, Alex? 
The finish was good. It was also, a good finish. But ridiculous. The, the, the turn was better than the finish. The finish but is just... But for a player who hasn't played at all this season, basically, Jesus has been unreal, right? And like, and Kenti has come off the bench for 10, 15 minutes at a time, but he hasn't started any games this year, you know, and he's he hasn't had the best Europa League so far, you know, where he's been getting chances. For his, This is his first Premier League start. Just I, I can't praise him enough and so happy that he got the goal. All of our front three got goals, which just unbelievable as well. But I think the most impressive thing, Alex, about the win, and it was why I wasn't worried, is I think from the first minute to the last minute, we controlled the game. And I think that was a little bit of West Ham's doing because they, they kind of just sat back and let us have the ball, which a lot of teams are letting Arsenal do that right now. And it's not the best idea because... Yeah, I don't get that. You know, they, you know, we had 60 or 70 percent possession, like all the way through the first half, basically coming into the second half, even though we were losing one nil, you know, it, it, it never felt like they were going to actually get into the game, even though they, they had the penalty. It, it completely came against the run of play. You know, we had a bunch of chances in the first half and it just it felt like it was coming. And then once it did, it was just like, all right, well, this is over scoring the second and the third goal almost felt inevitable. I still don't think that. It matters until we play Newcastle and City. I like I need to play those teams before I, you know, have actual hope that we're going to win this title. Um, but we have to just keep winning the the games in front of us, right? Like it's all we can keep doing. And at some point, we're playing Newcastle and, and we play. I think Brighton. We haven't played them Brighton's this season. Away this weekend. Huge loss for Brighton is Caicedo. Uh, Caicedo five yellow card accumulation will not be playing this weekend. He started right, but they'll, every they'll single have, game for them this season. They, they might have like McAllister back, you know. They, they've got some depth, and they they chopping change those midfielders around. I, I get it. Saicedo is a big miss for them, but you know that that's still going to be a tough away fixture. It's actually Saturday at twelve thirty. You would have thought, like in midfield, right? I, I would. You would have thought that Ben Rama, Paqueta, you know, Rice, Suchek would have had, you know decent bit of the ball but they just oh, couldn't I, i've been meaning to talk to you about this you, you mentioned during the world cup uh podcast we were doing about uh lucas paqueta playing for brazil in like the deeper role next to casemiro and for the rest of the tournament i was watching him there and you were you were talking about it in relation to how he's deployed by david Moyes at west ham and Moyes did it again in this game where he played Paqueta as like a number 10 further up the field and played Thomas Suchek next to Declan Rice. And that, that pairing's been good for them for two or three years now, maybe two. But I think if West Ham want to like take that next step and be able to beat teams like and get over this record that David Moyes has at like top six sides, I think he hasn't won an away game in the league at any of Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, Manchester City or Liverpool or Tottenham, uh, he's never won a game in the league his entire career. That's going back to Everton. It's going to the couple of years at Sunderland. That's this time at West Ham. Never beaten any of those teams. If he wants to do what he's been brought in to do and take West Ham to that next level where they're consistently qualifying for European con- competitions and hopefully uh, you know, winning something like a Europa League or a Europa Conference League or an FA Cup, he needs to be bold enough to like just... To take that decision. Drop Paqueta into midfield. Maybe you give up a bit of the physicality that Suchek brings you, but you get more on the ball and you can control games a little bit better with Rice and Paqueta in that midfield controlling things a bit more with a bit more quality. I don't know if he's going to end up doing it, but I, I did like that suggestion. And I, I, when watching Paqueta for Brazil, yes, he's got better players around him than he does at West Ham. 
But he was pivotal in like that uh, Neymar goal against Croatia with the the intricate one and two touch passing to work. Yeah, their he way just looked so the... much better on Brazil. It just it felt like a no brainer that uh, Moyes should should try something like that. But maybe Arsenal wasn't the game to do it. You know, maybe maybe he'll, he'll try that soon. Um, but I, I got to give praise a couple more players here. Uh, first of all, Saliba. I didn't know he came back so fast, but I guess he wasn't really involved in the World Cup, so he probably just jetted back immediately and tried to. Uh, came back to help the team. He had a, he didn't have a good game, you know, made that mistake for the penalty. Uh, obviously was, was game rusty, but even him having a bad game, like still being able to win comfortably is, uh, it's a great result. He still played super well after that. Yeah. It's a sign of a great player to make a mistake like that. And to not just suddenly have a howler, start misplacing. He still was, you know, playing nice, you know, good defending well and, uh, playing well on the ball. So, uh, and then Thomas Partey, man, that, that guy, I mean, I don't know if you saw, like, he was amazing for Ghana in the World Cup. He's been unbelievable for us this entire season. And the only games that Arsenal have lost this entire season, Thomas Partey was not in the lineup in the Manchester United game or in the PSV game. Both games we lost, Thomas Partey wasn't playing in those. Every other game that he's played this season has been a win. uh, And he's just absolutely the most pivotal player in this team. He, there, there's no player to replace him, right? If he goes down, we're playing El Neni or Shaka. No, I mean, shaka has been playing the role that he's been playing unbelievably this season. Yeah, but you don't think you could drop he him in and maybe have Zinchenko can, come in to midfield too? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't, he can't go down injured or other things can't happen, but he needs to, he needs that, to That's stay. a lot of pressure. <laughs> he needs to stay fit. Uh, cause I think he's like a top five defensive midfielder in the world right now. I mean, I think he's that good. He's, he's unbelievable. The, the guy's just like an octopus. He, he swallows everything. He just tackles everywhere, gets plays long balls. I think he's been the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League this season. So at me, if you, uh, if you can think of another one. Well, Rodri comes to mind. Casemiro. He's been very good for yeah. Manchester United. Yeah. But which one's top of the league? I mean, that's fair, but you're just asking about one position. We you know we're not... Yeah, yeah specifically that position. I'd say Casemiro is, is, Joao is in Palinha. the and Rodri. Right. Joao Palinha is another one I would bring up. Decent. He's added he's goals to decent. that as well. I think he's got three goals. There's good defensive midfielders in the Premier League right now. It's not It's not a position that's like shallow. It's, uh, it's a very deep field of players. But yeah, I mean, he definitely is up there. So I'm not, not trying to... I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I'm just <laughs> saying, you know, that, that that's a bit more of a tough one than you're making it out to be. And also depends on how you want to play. Uh, but yeah, that that was a 3-1 win for Arsenal at home uh, on Monday in the late game on Boxing Day. But earlier that day, we got started with the first game back. Brentford went up 2-0 against Tottenham uh, in the 7.30 a.m. game. And Tottenham roared back to equalize. And uh, could have had a winner as well. It was a very entertaining game. Very appropriate to come back to a game like that. Uh, what did you think of, I guess, Tottenham? We can focus on uh, for this because it yeah, is I mean, impressive Brentford that they been, just keep Brentford coming back in games like this. Really, really good at home. You know, they've only lost to Arsenal at home. And I think they had four wins and three draws in the rest of their games. So... You know they've been they've been excellent at home so far this season, and they kind of continued it in this. It looked like they were going to be comfortable winners after that first half. Um, you know, up two nil could have easily gotten a third, and uh, I guess no, they got the second in early in the second half. But you know, it, they, they it looked like they were controlling the game, like they could have gotten more goals. Tottenham were playing dreadful, and then out of nowhere, 
I mean, it was a ball from Lenglet, center back, crossing it into Harry Kane, who the, finishes the finish it was unbelievably. <laughs> the header was I mean, so just good. out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere. And that just brought Tottenham back to life. Uh, you know, suddenly Brentford weren't playing as expansive and were, you know, playing a little bit more scared, trying to protect their lead. And next thing you know, you know, the Tottenham goal almost seemed inevitable, came 2-2. Tottenham have been doing this all season. You know, they're they're the they're the comeback kings, like uh, Peter Drury said on the commentary. You know, they're, they are the, the, the team that's come back the most and gotten the most points from losing positions this season. I'm sure it's not a habit that, I mean, we've been saying it the whole year, that they you can't keep doing this and we keep saying it, they keep doing it, but like, it's going to catch up with you soon. You could tell Conte both goals, not celebrating either one. It's just like, fuck this team. Like they, they keep doing this. I'm sure it's infuriating to Conte because if they just didn't concede the first goal in these games, you know, you, you got to think that they'd go on and score a couple and just win easily, but it just doesn't seem to be happening for Tottenham. And it's why I think they're going to be struggling for top four. Cause games like this, you know, it, they're it's very hard they to come beat, back though. and get a point. They're very hard to beat, yes. And I think Harry Kane. They'll, they'll be fine. I think you should be frustrated as a Spurs fan if your aim for this season was to challenge for the league. It, it's That's keeping them from being a true title contender. But the way they're playing, I think that's something that makes them pretty much solid, solidly in for, for top four. Now, the introduction of Newcastle and how well they've been playing and have like the longest win streak uh, in the league currently... Yeah, I was going, gonna say that doesn't leave know, a lot of places, yeah, right? So. so it basically makes you think, you know, if it's Arsenal, uh, Manchester City, and you know, dare we say it, Newcastle. I, I think we can start to bring that up now. That's one place left for Tottenham, Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, all, all these teams. And you, you know, uh, I, I, here's the thing: I can I can trust that Chelsea and Man United will lose probably more games the rest of the season than Tottenham will. So I think that gives Tottenham the edge over those sides because again, Tottenham are very difficult to actually beat. They'll get at least a draw most of the time, even if they're behind a goal or two. Now, if Liverpool raise to the level that we know they can, and we're you know kind of theorizing that they may with this Gakpo signing, then they can easily overtake Tottenham, get that fourth place, and Conte will be out. And, you know, I wouldn't be mad about that happening. I'd be pretty happy about that. But, uh, you know, you can never underestimate Antonio Conte. He's got this January window to make signings, too. I do not doubt that they will make, you know, you know he'll be crying to the board. Signings Absolutely. In very key areas. Yeah, he got that uh, ben- Bentancur and Kulisevsky yeah, and uh, I'm sure they're going to trust him again. Exactly. Last January. So yeah, they, they have an idea. I, of what I, I mean, doing. I thought a big part, a huge part of their being able to come back in this game was Kulishevsky. Him being back was, was really good for Tottenham. You know, he was part of both of those goals. He he, you know, he created space early on in the build up for the first goal, and then in the second goal, he put the ball in. Um, so I mean, Kulishevsky for me, you know, huge, hugely important player. They Son still. Just hasn't looked like himself so far this season. I know he had that one game where he scored a hat trick. I don't really know what's going game, on with yeah. him. I, I was um, going to say, but, uh, I think earlier this season, Kulisevsky, even with the injury, great. I think he yeah. surpassed Son as their second most important attacking player after Kane. Oh, I think so, 100%. Yeah. I don't know why that's the case. Um, and I'm sure Tottenham fans will hate that because of the way Son was playing in the last couple of seasons. You know, he seemed to be elevating every season, getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And it almost seems like he plateaued and. Yeah, just we haven't seen him have a season like this so far since he's been in the Premier League. He's he's been pretty consistently like just banging in goals since his first most season of the time. Yeah, 
So, well, I mean, most of the time it's been, you know, eight or nine players defending and then Kane and Son working their magic up top. They've now introduced, yeah, they've now they've introduced Kulisevsky, who gives them more of a wider option, a player who's more willing to spend And they're spend getting like Hoiberg, who's there. been scoring goals, Betancourt yeah. has been scoring goals. I think Hoiberg has like five goals now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ridiculous. It's not bad. Dude's been, He's dude's another been one you bang. can throw into yeah. the defensive midfield conversation. Right. Uh, like, yeah, he's been great. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, yeah, it's you want to give them a little bit of praise for coming back from 2-0 down because Brentford were roaring before that. And by the way, I want to mention, how the hell is Ivan Tony still playing when he has, like, what wasn't it like 200 the, uh, the or charges, like 80 something? Yeah, they don't have to, uh, I think they have till January 4th to respond or something. So I think he gets to play two more games before, uh, or one more game after this one, and then they'll have to respond to the charges. I don't know if that, I don't know what's going to happen there, but kind of crazy that he's still playing. I'm pissed because yeah. he fucked up my whole fantasy. I wasn't going to do anything, but then because I thought he wasn't going to play because of the betting stuff, I took him out and had to change my team, and it just fucked everything up. Yeah, he's a player that I was like looking at. I was like, Chelsea, why don't you go sign him? Like, <laughs> He would be excellent for us right now. I've said that many times before, but ever since that news came out that he's facing probably a long suspension for uh, breaking gambling rules for players— and I can't remember the exact amount of charges, but it's a lot of them. It's it's not like one or two or three. It's, it's like 280 charges. Right. It's a shitload. So that makes you think, uh, he's probably not going to be playing the rest of this season. Um, so we'll see how Brentford, uh, you know, overcome uh, missing him because he, he's a huge part hey, of their Hey, Brian and Buemo was pretty good, though. Missed They've a sitter. A... Yeah. <laughs> Missed a sitter he and had the too. worst dive of the season. Did you see the dive that he had that got him a yellow? Oh, yeah. Awful. Just awful. Uh, where do you want to go next? There's uh, plenty of places we could go. We should we should, we should hit the Newcastle win real quick because uh, they kept up their form. They've only lost one game this season. Yeah, nine nine wins, six draws, one loss. And uh, they looked so good. Almarone scored again. If they finish the season, top. If they finish the season in the top four and Arsenal finish in second... Who do you give manager of the year to, Eddie Howe or Mikel Arteta? I mean, it's it's so incredible that Newcastle were sitting in 18th place at this time last season, and they had I think a 28 less points or 20 no uh, 28 fewer 18 less points, uh, 18 fewer points than they had last season at this point. So that's just like an insane improvement. Arsenal also have had a huge improvement. I think we have 16 or 15 more points than we did at this point last season. So Stop stalling again, and answer the question. <laughs> I think you give it to Arteta, but I mean, Eddie well, Howe. I, I think you would give it to Eddie Howe. Cause, no, because Eddie Howe got gig, like he, he was given an insane amount of money to do this. And, and, and yet he's made players that were there during the, the terrible years, the Mike Ashley years. He's turned them into borderline world-class players. Joe Ellington scores a goal and wins the penalty in this one. We've talked about him ad nauseum. He's turned him into like a world-class box-to-box midfielder. Miguel Almiron now has like nine goals in 16 games this season. I think he had like nine goals in 100 appearances before that for Newcastle. So he's turned into an absolutely ruthless wide forward. Chris Wood is scores a penalty in this game and is able to, you know, uh, fill in for Callum Wilson, who went down with a, a, like sickness or something. And yes, there are obvious like key buys that they made last January, mainly Trippier and uh, Guimaraes in midfield. 
But that those two alone would not have been enough for them to be at this point this soon. He's turned some of these players into like yeah, Dan Burns, Sven Botman, top four players, like players that are not losing. They're on a six game win streak right now in the Premier League, dating back to before the World Cup. They had they were the only team with a five game winning streak going into the World Cup. They they were on an absolute tear. And they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. So, you know, good luck scoring against them. And they play good football. They're fun they to watch. Excellent football. Gimarash, I think, is the most key player to all of it. But it's so impressive to see how Eddie Howe... I, I never saw him do this at Bournemouth. Yes, he elevated players from like a championship right, if we get second and we finish level. like three or four points behind City, of course you give it to Arteta. What are you talking about? Challenging an Erling Holland Manchester City till the end will be an unbelievably hard task. All right, I, I just think there's a difference been, between like it turning more a team around than, than Newcastle getting top four. Newcastle really, getting top four. Really, this there soon. was no one giving Arsenal top four this season. No one. I don't know about that. A lot of people. There were, were no commentators. A lot of people were picking Arsenal you guys over us and Tottenham to get into the top four. No one was picking Newcastle to get top four. Legitimately, right. no one. Some people well, were yeah, saying this that, is Arsenal's year if, where if they make Newcastle the step up. If Newcastle finished third, that'd be pretty incredible. Yeah, that'd be pretty incredible. They beat Leicester three nil on uh, on Monday on Boxing Day. They went up two nil in the first like seven or eight minutes. Uh, Leicester looked like you know they couldn't be asked. Like they, a bunch of their players were still on their post World Cup. You know, yeah, they vacation. didn't have Madison. Uh, Didi wasn't fit. They're, I I don't think it's a big deal for Leicester. I don't. They they were on really good form before the World Cup. They they looked decent in parts of this game, especially you know after Newcastle went up two nil. It looked like Leicester could have come back. Um, I mean, Nick Pope made like three or four brilliant, brilliant saves in this game. Harvey Barnes had a couple really good chances. Vardy had like three or four. Honestly, Newcastle have been, Nick Pope has been a huge reason why as as well. I mean, how how many signs is that? Nick Pope, Dan Burns, Sven Botman, uh, Grimadai, Trippier. To be fair. I know, but all of these players, I mean, they've made a huge difference to Newcastle in the last year. Yes, completely changing definitely. the way the team. I, I'm the team not, not going to so. disagree with that, but at the same time, when you look at like Newcastle's, you know, relative spend to those teams that they have had to surpass to be in this position, like they're not they're not spending anywhere close to as much as Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City, like Liverpool have even dropped some money here and there. They're, Newcastle, yes, they have started to spend money in the last year in these last two windows, but they have been fairly economical about. Who they've decided to absolutely chase. no they did not they did not get roped into they did not get this is what happens transfer. when you give Eddie Howe money I mean you guys should have gotten Eddie Howe no I don't know about that oh wow okay so the so if he's manager of the season and gets them into top four over you you don't think you would have wanted him of course he would have been fucking fantastic you, you still you, guys. you still have to I consider even would have taken fit. him before we had Mikel Arteta you, I would have taken Eddie you Howe would, you would still have to consider the fit he's a good fit at Newcastle but. I don't know if it would have been a good fit at Chelsea. He he would have relative patience at Newcastle, but and because of that patience, he feels conf- confident enough to do the job that has gotten yeah, him. Yeah, maybe to a he point would have been a good fit at Arsenal, where too. he's doing well right. uh, now so early. Um, but yeah, that was a great first game back for Newcastle. Uh, let's mention just a couple of the results from earlier that day. Uh, another couple of the 10 a.m. games were uh, Crystal Palace losing three 0 at home to Fulham after going down to nine men. Uh, Everton lost 2-1 at home to Wolves. Huge win for Wolves. Huge yeah, yeah. win. Crunches up the bottom of the table. You know, they really, really needed that. That was Lopetegui's first game in charge. Huge win for them. Brighton went to Southampton and beat them uh, 3-1. 
Uh, and we already mentioned Liverpool winning 3-1 at Aston Villa and Arsenal winning 3-1 at home against West Ham. Tuesday, uh, the following day, there were two games. Chelsea beat Bournemouth 2-0 and Manchester United beat Nottingham Forest 3-0. And on uh, earlier today, Wednesday, I guess, Manchester City beat Leeds 3-1 away. I mean, I want to talk about this Chelsea-Bournemouth game just a little bit, but I don't know. Are there others that, you know, you'd rather talk about? Because, you know, we are lo- running a little low on time here. I mean, the the, the Nottingham Forest-United game was was very pedestrian. Uh there was no Dean Henderson in goal, and Wayne Hennessy was fucking awful. He was, you know, completely at fault for two of the goals. So was Bazunu, by the way, in the first two Southampton goals. He was god-awful as well. Yeah, I'm worried for uh, Bazunu. Uh, but, and then Manchester City as well. The robot got back to winning, you know, got back to his ways, getting two goals. Easy game for Manchester City again. It's not the robot, it's the Terminator. The Terminator. Erling Holland right? is the Terminator. is back to his fucking disgusting He'll be back. Ways. He'll, he is, and, in fact, uh, back. He's back. Hey, we're all fucked. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Alex, let's talk about your Chelsea, Alex, because uh, I kind of knew. Uh, there was rumors before, a few days before, that Kai Havertz had been uh, playing center forward. And uh, I kind of knew when I saw the uh, starting lineup, I thought you guys were going to win. Um, I liked, you know, seeing Reese James back, that Ra- that Raheem Sterling, Reese James, Mason Mount. Uh, right side of Chelsea is uh, was was absolutely lethal in that first half, um, and as soon Kai as Reese James got injured, it all went to shit. Like we couldn't yeah, we really couldn't did. get out of our it's half after crazy. that. It's a sad indictment of it's crazy how how big of a player he is for you guys and how big of a difference him and Keppa by the way because Keppa was a huge part for you guys too. He made some big saves once Reese James went down. You know. You guys needed him to, to keep you in the game because you didn't want Bournemouth to get a goal and then randomly get hope to, to get a point out of this. And I mean, with the run that you guys were winless in six before this, this was your first win in six games. And it was a huge in the Premier League. And this was a, you know, just a, a big, big boost, I think, for morale, for Potter, you know, just to have a clean sheet, getting Kepa back. Huge losses, Reese James. Um uh, I just I don't know. You guys have to make a right right back signing. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we've been linked with uh, Juranovic, the Croatia right back who plays for Celtic. I wouldn't mind him, you know, as a backup option as long as it's not you know too big of a of a fee. Uh, and he was one of the best players at that World Cup at its position. So I would be okay with that. Uh, it, just as long as we have someone with a bit more energy and ability on the ball to get up and down that that right wing. Because right now. Aspilicueta, he's he, I mean, he's looked done as a pure right back in, in a back four for a couple of years now. And he can maybe you can maybe hide him at right center back in a back five. But as soon as he's asked to be out by himself and given all that responsibility to keep possession and progress the ball, the whole team kind of like unravels at that point, if that's what he's asked to do. And, and that came true in that Bournemouth game once Reese James went off in or like early in the second half, I think around the 60th minute. At that point, it was just, you know, Chelsea holding on to possession as best we could, maybe trying to get them on the counterattack. And uh, yeah, it it wasn't terrible. I I was just happy there wasn't like a slip up against a team like Bournemouth because we've seen Bournemouth specifically come to Stamford Bridge and not be favored at all and then walk out three three nil winners before. So I was happy to not see that. I, I think at this point of the season with the injuries and kind of waiting for... Uh, some new signings to come in in the next week or two. We've got games in the league specifically against uh, Nottingham Forest away this weekend. 
We have Manchester City in the league next week and again in the FA Cup a couple days after that. But then after that, we have like Crystal Palace at home. So those league games against teams like Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace, the bare minimum is beat those teams. And that keeps things afloat, allows us to sign a couple of players in key positions. And then eventually players like Reese James, he's supposed to be back now in three to four weeks after he like got a little setback during that Bournemouth game to the uh, to the knee that kept him out before the break. And then Chilwell is supposed to be back pretty soon as well. I have to, I have to do, I have to say one thing. So there was apparently uh, a post by your like uh, one of your physicians, you know, kind of throwing shade at Potter uh, because you guys were up two nil at halftime, and a lot of people say you should have brought off Reese James at that point. Um, that you, you can play those games, you know, as much he, as you want. It was his but... first game back. No, no, but it was his first game back in months, and you could have probably played him off the bench and probably should have. Um, and I don't think he but wasn't we, ready to, we to play we 60, We wouldn't be up 2-0 at that point if we had brought him off the bench. There, right, there was so nothing, he was already up 2-0. Take him here, off. Here's I the don't thing, know, just, I, I would understand uh, if there was something where, like, Reese James himself didn't feel ready, but he said he felt 100% ready to come back, and he looked completely fine up until the point where he just sort of landed on it wrong and then signaled to the bench immediately, like, oh, that's me done. It's just a similar thing happened with Chilwell in the, I think it was the last group game in the Champions League against Zagreb. We had already qualified first in the group. We were up like 3-1 or something. And in like the 86th minute, Chilwell went on a sprint and like pulled something in his quad. And now he's out for two months or three months, something like that. It's like we could have used one of those subs on Chilwell, a like a notoriously injury prone player who shouldn't have been playing deep in to that game when we had everything wrapped up, but we didn't. We used the subs on other positions and it didn't work out. Uh, There's probably going to be a huge inquisition into all the physicians at the club. There's been a a complete retooling of all of the like executive positions and they'll probably work their way down from there with appointing new people and analyzing the, uh, all of their performance and seeing what, what, uh, what better people in those positions they can bring in to improve that, that facet of the, of how the club is run. Because there's been an injury in each of the last four games that Chelsea have played, including the two, uh, what do you call it, like warm-up games before coming back from the World Cup. We had a warm-up game against Aston Villa where Armando Broya tore his ACL and is out for the rest of the season. We had another warm-up game, I think, against Palace or someone, and Wesley Fofana re-aggravated a knee injury. You know, and we've had Reese James now, and I think I'm forgetting the other one, but it's becoming too frequent that that's happening, and something needs to be done about it. Chilwell. What's that? Chilwell. Oh, yeah, Chilwell would have been the Zagreb game, right. And, uh, well, I mean, Kovacic, he actually played almost, he played every game of that World Cup and almost every minute. He was, uh, it was pretty impressive that he was able to stay fit and play all those games. I wonder if he can stay fit for you guys. You really need him to, uh, to come back and, and, stay fit for the rest of the season because we need him but at the same time uh dennis sicaria looks like he's playing pretty well i don't know if you had a a chance to watch him but he looks pretty good it's fucking bournemouth alex calm down yeah i'm just saying he looks pretty good doesn't look terrible we've missed a physical presence like that but maybe kovacic can replace Jorginho in the team That, that might be for the best all right let's wrap things up there I think we're going to be uh, recording again either on Sunday or Monday. It's kind of a weird Premier League schedule at the moment where, you know, there's going to be games this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. 
uh, and then another round of fixtures next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So keep an eye out for you know the weekend roundup or recap uh, on Sunday or Monday night. And I, I guess we'll get back in after those uh, midweek games next week and do another pod. So Javier, thanks for jumping on this one uh, late at night. I appreciate it. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMOS92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoldPod. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and leave a rating and review. Those new ratings and reviews help listeners, the new listeners, to find us. And we always appreciate it when you guys can help us build this thing. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Enjoy your weekend and the Premier League games. And until next time... Fire!